This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. Our hour of crime begins this week with Box 13. We'll hear Three to Die, their story from January 23, 1949. After that, it's Richard Diamond, private detective, and William Logan and the Ivory Statue, his story from April 5th, 1950. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Take a letter, Miss Jordan. To Box 13, care of the Star Times. I, uh, I'll need your help. I dare not go to the police for reasons I'll explain when you see me. Please come to my office in the security... Please come to my office in the security building, signed Douglas McIntosh. Not much of a letter, but then, as the proverb says, great oaks from little acorns grow. And before this was over... The acorn grew into a large, large oak. And now, back to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, Three to Die. Douglas McIntosh. That's a Scotch name, isn't it? Ah, you can smell the heather, Susie. Wonder what he wants. Well, if this man is the same Macintosh I looked up, he's building that new tunnel under the river. <gasps> Gee, maybe he wants you to be a hedgehog. <laughs> no, Susie, they're called sandhogs. Oh, what won't they think of next? Well, I think I'll see what Mr. Macintosh has on his mind. I'll be at the security building, Susie. Security building? Huh. It was the only security I was to know until the whole thing was over. Anyway, I went to McIntosh's office. I was shown right in to an oversized man who looked as big as the Washington Monument in Tweeds. He didn't waste much time. So you're the man, eh? Yes, I'm the man. All right. You call me Mac. What's your name? Holiday. Dan Holiday. All right. Now, Dan, I'm in trouble. Uh-huh. Trouble gets around. Fast. But look here, and I'll tell you quick. I'm a contractor. I bid on this new tunnel. Got the bid and posted my bond to finish the tunnel on time. So far, everything's clear. What now? Then I'm not going to finish in time. Well, why not? Now we get to the point. And a sharp point. You say you're running into trouble? Hey, sabotage. Well, why don't you call the police? They can't, man. It'd be publicity. Unfavorable. They can't risk it. Oh, then what's my problem? Find out who's doing this to me. You suspect someone of doing it? Uh, look, man, accidents like we've been having don't just happen. They're made. Broken air hoses, emery in the compressors, hundreds of delays, little things that add up to hours. Oh, I see. Another thing. So far, the men working for me think these things are accidents. But the moment they suspect somebody's doing the dirty work in that tunnel, they'd walk out. Sandhagen's dangerous enough itself. In short, somebody's trying to ruin you. Exactly. It would ruin me. The contract would go to someone else. They'd not get another contract for years. But what can I do? I'm not a detective. You see, I... I beg your pardon, Mr. McIntosh, but... Uh, can't you see I'm busy? What do you want? Telegram. I thought you ought to see it right away. Uh, all right, read it. Well, uh... Oh, it's... It's all right. You can talk in front of him. Dan, this is Fred Harris, construction engineer. Harris, Dan Holliday. How do you do? Glad to know you. 
Now, what about that wire? Uh, the last shipment of concrete we ordered was derailed about 200 miles from here. What? Well, don't just stand there and get every truck out of the road. Get that concrete here. You ought to have enough sense to think of that without coming to me first. Go ahead, get it down. Yes, sir. You see what I mean, Dan? Another delay. Who's this Harris? He thinks he's going to be my son-in-law. Also, he thinks an engineering degree makes him a great man. That it takes the place of 15 years of experience. That's an argument I'd rather watch from the sidelines. Well, go on with your story. Well, we have to finish in three weeks or I'll forfeit my contract. McIntosh told me everything he knew. It wasn't much. Only that whoever was doing the dirty work causing accidents, delays, had to be working in the tunnel. So we went to the tunnel. But first, before I was taken down into the workings, I was given khaki coveralls and a fiber helmet and a little metal tag to hang around my neck. Mac explained the tag. Every sandhog gets one of those. It's got his own number on it. Well, what's it for? Ever hear of caisson disease? Oh, the bends? Yeah, yeah. On one side of the tag, it explains the man is a caisson worker working under pressure. Oh, so if the disease hits him on the surface, he can be given proper treatment. Oh, that's it. There are six places in the city where that can be treated. The man is put into a chamber, pressure increased, then gradually decreased. Mm, like a diver. If he comes up too fast, the nitrogen in his blood is forced into his tissues, causes pain. And sometimes worse. You seem to know a lot about it, Dan. <laughs> I'm a writer. A writer has to know a little about everything. <laughs> then I hope you'll be able to tell me more about what's going on down there. All right, ready? Mm-hmm, I'm ready. Let's go. Together, Mac and I rode one of the hoists down into the workings. My ears began to pop from the pressure, and I swallowed hard to keep them open. Then we came to the bottom of the shaft, about 150 feet below the surface of the ground. Mac looked around for a minute, and then... Angus! Angus! Here! Come here! A short, powerfully built man walked over to us. He was grinning as he said to Mac. Ah! What brings the boss into the tunnel? Angus, meet a friend of mine, Dan Holliday. Dan Angus Campbell, my foreman. Best man in the world in his line. <laughs> Aye, the best beside yourself. How do you do, Dan? How are you, Angus? First rate. Except we had another little rumpus today, Mac. Uh, what? Another break in the air hose at the shield. The hose whipped around. Anybody hurt? Aye, Phil Evans. Hose got him right in the middle. He's done for this job. Won't work for a month. Broken ribs. Uh, another one. Aye. You visiting us here, Dan? Well, you might call it that. Dan's a writer. Doing a story on sand hogging. Wants atmosphere. Uh, uh, you'll get it here. You want to see the works? Uh, show them around, Angus. And be careful of him. Don't you worry, Mac. Good. I'll go back to the office now. Come back there when you're finished, Dan. Oh, sure. Oh, it's got him worried, Dan. And little wonder. Every penny he stands to lose. Every penny. That bad, huh? Worse. And if I ever catch the one that's doing it, I'll whip him around with me bare hands. Hmm. You and Max seem to be good friends, huh? I started together 30 years ago in Scotland. Uh huh. Well, time's fleeting. Want to show me around? Sure. Let's get going. I followed Angus into a big airlock. It was a reinforced concrete compartment with double steel doors. As one door closed behind us, the pressure was built up to equal that in the tunnel. It built gradually. But I knew what would happen if it went down fast. Caisson disease. A terrible, racking pain. 
Brother, I had a lot of respect for the men who worked down there day after day, taking risks, big chances every time they descended into the workings. Then he opened another steel door, and Angus and I were in the tunnel itself. As soon as my ears became used to the noise, Angus guided me to a small flat car. We got on and rolled down narrow gauge tracks to the center of the tunnel. If you can hear me, this car runs down by gravity. But the handbrake on it to slow it or stop. There's a motor for running back up. Saves time on a job like this. How long is this tunnel? This side's about a half mile long now. This side? Aye. It started on the other bank of the river the same time we did. Oh. Did you have any trouble over there? No. Only on this side. But we're keeping up with them. I'll keep driving till this thing's finished, accidents or no accidents. How much time have you got? Three weeks. Think you'll make it? We've got to. Our max stands to lose every neck. Look. There's the end of the track. I looked ahead. A tremendous scaffold rose into the air. Men covered it like ants. Working with pneumatic drills, shovels, wheelbarrows. Dump trucks ran back and forth, filled with the mud and shale dug out of the wall of earth that lay ahead. I looked up and I felt a little funny when I realized that right over my head was the river. And lots of clean, fresh air. While down here was nothing but the deafening noise of the hammers and the thought that death worked right next to every one of these men. Angus noticed me gazing up at the scaffold. First time you ever saw anything like this, eh? Yes, yes. What holds all that mud back? That shield and compressed air. Air? Just air holding back the river? <laughs> Aye. You see, compressed air here in the tunnel is built up to a pressure equal to the pressure that's shoving down from above. Oh, in other words, if the pressure outside this tunnel is... Well, 45 pounds per square inch. That's the pressure in here. Right. Well, this may not be a good question, but uh, what happens if the pressure in here gets less? We'd be crushed to jelly. Uh, nice thought. That's no all. There's always the danger of a blowout. What's that? Sometimes we hit a weak spot in the riverbed. The bed won't take all the pressure we've got in here. And you get a blowout, like a tire blowing out. Aye, the men, machinery, equipment, all blown to the surface of the river and into the air. Has that ever happened? Aye. And once, only once, mind you, a man lived to tell about it. Angus, I take off my hat to you boys down here. A million people drive through tunnels every day. Yet maybe not one in a hundred stops to think how the tunnel was built. And what it cost. Not only in money, but in injury. In death. Yeah, when a man takes to sandhogging, he takes to the dangers too, won't they? Only one. We've only got a half crew working today. Oh? Why? Two men have been killed. Nobody wants to be the third. Superstition? Maybe. But lots of the men are staying home until the thirds. Well, uh, what I said. Angus showed me the whole thing. Oh, there were a million ways in which someone could sabotage the works. Break an air hose, tamper with the compressed air gauges, lots of ways. Then later, Angus took me to a complicated affair. It was like an elevator cage. In fact, it was an elevator, as Angus explained. This is the latest thing. Combination elevator and decompression chamber. Up in, we'll go back up. We go up slow, Dan. As we go up, the pressure in here is decreased until it's equal to that of the surface. Oh, then there's no danger of caisson disease. Not if we go up slow enough. 
and the pressure's reduced, I set the gauges to do it for us. Oh, I see. Well, did you see enough to write your story? No. No, I don't think I have. Not yet. So you, you didn't see anything done? Of course not, Mac. How could I? I was hoping you might get an idea. Yeah, but I didn't. Uh, you going back again? What could I find? Try, try it, man. Oh, but I don't think I could find it. Hey, you advertised for adventure. You, you couldn't get it in a better place. Yes, yes, I know, but how could I explain myself down there? Hey, you're a writer. Use your imagination, man. Mm-hmm. Well, suppose... Suppose I went back there as a worker. As a sand hog, you mean? Mm-hmm, that's it. But you don't know anything about it. I can handle a hammer, a shovel, a... <laughs> You'd get dirty and tired. Every muscle in your body would holler out loud at you. <laughs> well, I can always say I'm doing it for my art. Be a sand hog, see how it feels, then write about it. By Harry, man, you've got it. All right, then. Starting tomorrow, you're a sand hog. Oh, that was the way to do it. But when I got home that evening, I thought about it. That huge scaffold... Men scrambling over it, the pressure within the tunnel holding back the tons and tons of mud and silt ready to come in and crush everyone. What, uh, what if that pressure failed? What if they hit a weak spot in the riverbed and there was a blowout? The more I thought about it, the more inclined I was to... Yes? Telegram. Oh, shove it under the door, will you? Right. Oh, oh. And what a telegram. It read, Save for the fact that I don't want more bloodshed, you'd have gotten yours today. Stay away from the tunnel, or you'll be the third to die. Now back to Three to Die, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. I showed Mac the telegram the next day, and what he said filled the air with dark blue color for ten minutes. Then we can check to see who sent this. No dice, Mac, I did. And? It was sent from a pay phone booth. I guess you'll be changing your mind about the job now, eh? What makes you say that? Well, he's after you, whoever it is. Yes, I know. Uh, You can back out if you want to. And what would you think if I did? Does that make a difference? No, but there are a lot of men in that tunnel who stand to lose their lives. Mac, you've got to get the police I can't, man, I can't. The publicity would ruin me. All right. Fix it up for me to work down there and we'll see what happens. Okay, so I became a sand hog. For three days, I used muscles that thought they'd gone on a permanent vacation. Well, I woke them up. And they woke me up in the middle of the night, aching. Then one day in the tunnel, I was talking with one of the sand hogs. You know, Dan, you've done pretty well, considering you're new at this. Oh, I ache, Joe. I ache all over. <laughs> You'll get used to it. Mm, I don't think so. But, Joe, tell me something. Sure, what? What about these accidents down here? Oh, them. What about them? Well, maybe they're just part of the job. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Some of them weren't just like accidents, that's all. I mean, well, like a hose breaker. Two guys been killed. Now what? Look out! Hey, you all right? Yeah, 
Yeah, okay. You? I had to shove you, Dan. That car would have clipped you in half. Yeah. Look. Look, who's that? Where? Just going into the decompression chamber. Huh? Well, Harris? Yeah. Yeah, Harris. Oh. See what I mean? That car didn't look like no accident. Thanks, Joe. And this is one time I can honestly say I was glad I was shoved. That's okay. You know something? You were almost a safe to die. Before leaving the tunnel, I ran down to the spot where that car hit the stop bumper at the end of the track. It was wrecked. But in the wreckage, I found something. One of the tags, like the one I had. This one had the number 57 on it. I slipped it in my pocket. Maybe one of the sand dogs had dropped it. Then, just as I was about to step into the decompression chamber, Angus Campbell came up to me and... Your ship's going off, Don? Yeah, I'm finished for the day. Almost in more ways than one. Huh? What do you mean? Come on, let's get in. I want to get back up. All right. Tired? Uh, I'm worried. I can guess why. Huh? Look, I know you're no writing a story on Sandhogan. I know why you're down here. Oh, you do? Aye. Max desperate. I want him to call the police, but he won't. How did you find out about me? You've been nosing around, then. <laughs> that obvious, huh? Aye, but be careful, lad. Be careful. Yeah, I will be. Joe told me about the car that almost got you. Somebody sent it down the tracks. Aye. Angus. Aye? You've been with Mac a long time. Thirty years. Thirty years. Good ones, bad ones. And yet you stay with a job. I could have a top job on the surface. I see. Angus, got any idea who's doing all this? No. Harris? Huh? Why him? Mac doesn't like him. Ah, Doc said Stan. What point in Harris's ruin is his own father-in-law? Father-in-law to be, Angus. Still no point? Then how about the protection insurance to cover the completion bond? Eh? You mean Mac might be doing this himself to get the insurance? Could be. No, no, lad. The insurance wouldn't have covered the loss. No, there's, that's no it. And why? Uh, I wish I knew. Competitors, do you think? Who are they? Brillum Company. But no, they wouldn't. They'd be too easy to find out. Men got a habit of talking. And talk gets around. No, Dan, that's no them. And then who and why? And why did someone try to kill me today? You got the answers to those things, Dan. And you'll have the whole thing. Well, we're up at the top. I'll walk to the shack with you. No, I'm going back down. But I thought you were through for the day. I've still got lots to do. See you tomorrow. What Angus said made sense. Couldn't be Mac's competitors, because I checked... They'd been in business a long time, had plenty of money behind them. Had gotten a bid for another job upstate. And Harris? Eh, it didn't make sense either. If he was going to be Mac's son-in-law, it just didn't wash that he'd be sabotaging Mac. So I changed clothes, thought a lot, and then went home. Went out to get some dinner when... when it hit me. First a twinge. And sudden cramps that made me bend over as if someone had folded me inward with a baseball bat. The building started to spin, twist, then it got all nice and dark. There you are. 
You're all right now. I... I know this isn't very original, but... Where am I? Take a deep breath. That's it. Feel better? Lots. What happened? Couldn't have been anything I ate. I... <laughs> you had the bends. The bends? Mm-hmm. The tag around your neck tipped us off you were suffering from caisson disease. So we put you in the chamber. Come on, get up. We may need this chamber for someone else any minute. You make it sound as bad as the housing situation. Yes, it is, but you're all right now. Next time, don't come up so fast. But I... I didn't come up fast. Uh, yes? Nothing. Nothing at all. Thanks a million, Doctor. Well, it had me. Good. I knew I came up slowly. Angus had been with me. He... He... Oh, but that couldn't be. Not Angus. The next day, I went back to the job. I had just put on my coveralls when... When an idea hit me. I searched in my pocket. Lose something, Dan? Huh? Oh, no, Joe, I, uh... It's easy to drop something out of these coveralls. What's the number of your tag, Joe? Tag? Oh, the one we all wear in case we get the bends on top? Yeah. 502. Why? Got it on? Sure. Always wear it. Here it is. Uh-huh. Why? What are you getting at? I... I don't know. Listen, I'm going back for something I forgot. I'll be a little late on the job. Tell the section boss for me, will you? <laughs> sure. Where are you going? You're all hepped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I am, Joe. I'll, I'll be back. I went to see Mac. Told him he'd have to go into the tunnel that day and supervise operations. He thought I was crazy. Me? What for? To force your opponents into the open where we can get a shot at them for a change. I don't get this. Look, they're going after you, but by accidents. Things like that. So? But if you're in the workings, they might be tempted to wreck the entire tunnel with one stroke. You mean by going after me? That's it. You want me to lead with my chin like that? I'll call the whole thing off first. Lose the contracts. Money isn't everything. Exactly. You're right. But men have been killed down there. You've got to think of their lives, too. I do. Then get down with me. End this once and for all. Force them into the open. Uh, you're going, too? Yeah, because I've got an idea. But I can't prove a thing until we see the last play. I was leading with Mac's chin, and I knew it. But mine was plenty sore, too, and that made me feel a bit better about it. Mac knew he had no choice, and so he decided to go with me into the tunnel. I went to my job, and it was a ticklish feeling, knowing that any minute something might happen. Something that would make Joe, Mac, Angus, any one of us, the third to die. Or worse. Then... Hey, Dan. What is something, honey? Honey, what? I could have sworn the mud down here wasn't this deep before. What do you mean, Joe? Look. Stand still. Look around. The mud's coming up. It's getting high. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Joe. Pressure in here must be going down. Yeah. Dan, if it gets too low, that wall will come in on us. The whole river will be in our laps. Come on, let's get to the gauges. Dan! Dan, what's the matter? Pressure's going down in here. Come on. There's nothing wrong with the gauges. They read the right pressure. But they can't. The mud's getting higher. Look. Look, the men are coming in. They've seen the mud coming up. With these gauges. Hey! There ain't no air being pumped in. The gauges are stuck. Jam! Somebody jammed them so anybody reading them will think the pressure was okay. Get to the emergency compressors. Pressure's dropping fast. Get to the compressors. Get them on. 
I got him. Watch the gauges. We're getting pressure now. What's the matter? What happened? Angus, somebody jammed the pressure gauges to make it look like we had enough in here. Jam? Well, save for those emergency compressors, we'd have been done for. What did you say, Angus? I said the emergency compressors. You said save for the emergency. Save for. Funny way of putting it, Angus. Either in words or on a telegram. What's the matter with you? Where's your tag? Huh? Right here. Yes, with a new chain. So is your tag I picked up in that cart yesterday. The cart that almost killed me. You're crazy. And you, you weren't anywhere around a minute ago. I was coming in here. Then what are you trying to see? There's your saboteur. Mine, you're crazy. Stop raving crazy. Yeah? And you went back down yesterday to decompress yourself after I left the chamber. You didn't turn on the decompression valve for me on the way up. You're, you're crazy, man. Not crazy, Angus, because you were the only one who could have played that trick on me. Get me out of the way by failing to turn on the decompression valve. You and I were the only ones in that chamber. Hey, he's running back to the shield. Get him. Get him before he gets the compressors. He'll wreck him. Cut him down. Good. Dan. Dan, I never can thank you enough. But to think that after 30 years, Angus would ever do a thing like this. Mac, don't waste time even thinking about it. Let's go finish this tunnel instead. with him, Mr. Holliday? Jealousy, Susie? You see, he'd worked with Mac as a foreman. Then he saw Mac rise from a foreman to the owner of a big company. For 30 years, every day he'd go into the tunnel just, just an employee, while Mac stayed on top, the big boss. And it kind of made him, well, jealous, huh? To put it mildly, yes. Golly. Well, that makes up my mind for me, Mr. Holliday. Mm, congratulations, Susie. Huh? What do you mean? I quit. Huh? In about 29 years. Oh. <laughs> Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville. Three to Die is an original story by Mr. Sandville, adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Watch for Alan Ladd in his latest Paramount picture. Company presents Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. There it is. I've got it. I've got it. Let me see it. Here you are. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. My friend, you have just made us independently wealthy. Many men have died in the past because of this. Unless we're extremely cautious, you and I will be added to the already long list of its victims. Come, hurry. 
Here's another exciting half hour with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Diamond Detective Agency, where the blue of my eyes meets the gold in your wallet. Oh, that's pretty terrible. Hmm, you may be right. You admit it. Yes, I've seen your wallet. Oh, Rick. <laughs> Hello, Helen, baby. Hi. What are you doing? Oh, just finished cleaning out my desk. Oh, find anything interesting? Mm-hmm. Sam Spade. Guess he hadn't paid his rent. Oh, you're impossible. So, Sam. Well, I'm not going to try to keep up with this. Am I going to see you tonight? Oh, sure, sure, darling. I... Oh, uh, wait a minute, honey. Hmm? Company just walked in. Oh. Something I can do for you, my friend? Are you Richard Diamond? That's right. Client, Rick? No, I don't know, honey. I'll call you back. Please, Mr. Diamond. I haven't got much time. Okay, what's on your mind? This package. Here, take it. And keep it for me until... Hey. Hey, what's wrong? Hide it. I'm being followed. Hide it. Now, oh, take it easy. Oh, what's the matter? Hey, fella, come on. Now, what's... Oh, swell. Police Station, Sergeant Otis. Otis, let me talk to the lieutenant. Is this Diamond? No, it's Ponder, and I think I've been doped. Now put the lieutenant on the line. Oh. I'm sorry, Lieutenant Levinson. Walt, Rick. Oh, no, it's only 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody gets killed at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You better check up on your statistics. There's a guy in my office who makes a liar out of him. What? Yeah, lying right here in front of my desk. He's dead? Well, if he isn't, he's got a lazy heart. Maybe he just fainted. Maybe he's suffering from some kind of a shock. Maybe he's got some terrible disease, and he'll give it to you. Walt, if this guy isn't dead, he's sure going to have a hard time explaining the bullet hole in his back. Don't touch anything. Can't even scratch my head? Oh, you know what I mean. All I did was lock the door. Now get over here. Knock three times and say, Ricky loves Walter, and I'll open up. Uh, what did you lock the door for? Well, because this guy came in and gave me a... Gave you a what? Wait a minute, Walt. Come on, what are you mumbling about? Will you shut up? Someone's trying to get in the door. I'll see you when you get here, Walt. I have one of those locks that any skeleton key would fit, and that was exactly what my visitor was using. He opened the door. I moved back against the wall as the door swung in. My visitor was a young, well-dressed man, about five feet eight or nine, red hair, nose full of freckles, and on top of the nose, a pair of black-rimmed glasses. There was a big bulge under his coat, that he started reaching for just as I rolled his arm around behind him. You're backing me off! No, no, not yet. I still got a little way to go. No! Just making you more comfortable. Now, now I'll take this big gun. It must weigh you down. You can't do this to me. Oh, sure I can. See, I just pushed a little. No, no! Just locking the door again. Now sit on in that chair. My arm. I'll be happy you still got it. Now, what are you doing patty-footing it around here, using a passkey to get into my office? I got the wrong office. Look, Sonny, you see that over there? Oh, what is it? It's a guy, and it's very dead. Uh, I'll send some flowers. Make it enough for a duet. Someone else gonna die? Someone else is gonna get pretty close to it if I don't get the answers I want. Well, I'll see what I can find out. 
That's to see how fast you can talk. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to talk to nobody. I want to bet. You're going to be sorry for that. You're mixed up. Let me straighten you out. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, then let's have it. What were you doing busting in here? What do you know about the dead guy? I don't know nothing about him. What gave you the idea you could break into my office? I found out the door was locked. I didn't want to wait around in the hall. You got a permit to carry this gun? Well, of course I have. Let's see it. I haven't got it with me. Oh, well, then we'd better start at the beginning. Come on, Ricky loves Walter. Now open this door, I'll have all his ticket in. Who's that? That's the law, Buster. Now you stay put while I let the big fat policeman in. Come on, come on, Diamond. Should I, Lieutenant? Oh, not with your head. Well, greetings. Uh, come on in, Walter. Got somebody. Hey, what the... Oh, I had somebody. Some guy jumped through Diamond's window. It's eight floors up. Yeah, but there's a roof only one floor below. Look off the glass. There he is down there. Hey, you, you, come back here. He ducked behind that sign. Oh, let's uh, get off of my back. Oh, yeah. oh, well, he's gone. That's that. What did he do? Busted into the office. Hey, is that dead guy over there? What does that look like, a bear rug? Oh. You think the guy who jumped out of your window has something to do with the dead man? I don't know. He had this gun on him. Well, why didn't you take a shot at him? Because if you'll notice, I've been holding it by the barrel. I wanted you to have the nice little old fingerprints. Oh. Yeah, oh. Why didn't you take a shot at him? Why didn't I? Yeah, Lieutenant, why didn't you? You shut up. Well, Walt, I don't know what he was, who he was, or what he'd done. Why should I take a shot at him? Uh, Lieutenant... Otis, I told you to shut up. Now, let's take a look at the dead man. Looks like he's been shot in the back. Yeah. You said he came in to give you something, Ray. That's right. This package right here. What's in it? I'll have a look yet. Left in today's newspaper. Well, what in the... Hey, some kind of doll or something. Looks like it's carved out of ivory. Funny looking thing. Look at all those arms. Must be oriental. You know what it is? No more than you do. The guy just came well, in and... It sounds like the wagon with him. Yeah, when the coroner gets here, Rick, we'll go down to the office and see if we can get any identification on the guy who jumped out of your window. Okay. Here's a wallet off the dead guy. Well, let me see. Yeah, 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 Lieutenant. Hmm. Social security card. Name's William Logan. Hey, here's something. Guy's a merchant sailor. Here's his card. We'll check these things. Look, Walt, Walt you've got to wait around for the coroner's report. I've got a date with Helen later, so I'll go over to my place and get cleaned up. Then I'll meet you at the station, huh? Okay. Hey, where are you going with that statue? Well, the dead man, William Logan, gave it to me to keep. That's evidence. It's also something from a client. Client? He give you a fee? No, but he wanted me to have this thing. It looks like he died trying to get it to me. So he's a client until I find out what this is all about. Ain't he noble? Noble, schmoble. That thing is still evidence. I'll take good care of it. Now, Diamond, you come back here. Walt, what do I always say when I leave you like this? What? What do I always say? Why, uh, bye. Bye. I left Walt and headed for my flat on East 51st. I wasn't about to try and figure the whole thing out because it was still an early case. And sometimes cases like that can stretch out into two or three murders before things begin to fit together. That's the way you got to figure. One guy dead could lead to another, so you walk on eggs for a while and make sure it's not going to be you. I got to my flat and went in. Smoked a few cigarettes. Looked at the carved ivory figure that William Logan had given me. It looked like a woman sitting cross-legged with all of her six arms outstretched. I gave it a good going over, but couldn't find anything unusual. So I put it on the piano and went in and started to shave. 
Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, what is it? Okay, okay. When people don't answer, it makes me wonder. I crossed the living room, remember the ivory figure on the piano. So just to be safe, I lifted the top of the piano and put the statue down inside. Then I moved over to the door. Mr. Diamond? That's right. I'd like to talk with you. I have a business proposition. Is there any money involved? Quite a good deal. Well, you've just made an appointment. Come in, Mr. Uh... Titus. Leopold Titus, Esquire. He came in all right, and he had the duck to do it. He must have been a good seven feet tall, and even with his heavy overcoat, he couldn't have weighed over 140. He reminded me of a king-sized case of malnutrition. He took in the whole apartment with one fast look and slid into a chair, rested his elbows, locked his hands, and put them under his pointed chin. It appears you've been shaving. I've interrupted. Oh, no, no. Split personality. Never touch this side. Mr. Diamond, I haven't much time. Good, good. Now, you uh, said something about money. Hmm. I can see that this is a subject which meets with your approval. Well, it sets off an emotional reaction, shall we say. I can't stand goosebumps for more than a couple of minutes, so let's get to it, huh? Yes, indeed, indeed. Hmm. Mr. Diamond, I am prepared to pay $10,000 for Kali. Oh, well, that's dandy, but I'm not a booking agent. What kind of an act does Kali do? 10000 Mr. Diamond. Look, to me, Kali is the name of a dog. Kali! Oh, okay, so he got mixed up with a French poodle. 10000 and that's my top price. You know, of course, you're running me right into a nervous breakdown... I get the shakes when someone changes five bucks. Mr. Diamond, I want Kali. I will have Kali, whether I pay you the 10000 or not. Look, Mr. Titus, really, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I certainly hoped you'd be more sensible than this. I know that William Logan came to see you this afternoon. Oh? And I know for a fact that he had Kali with him. Well, did he have it when he left my office? I couldn't see. Mr. Logan was under a sheet. Now, either the police have Kali or you do. I'd like very much to know. Uh, maybe I can help you if you'll tell me exactly what this Kali is. I made an offer of $10,000, Mr. Diamond. That's a great deal of money, but it does not entitle you to play 20 questions. Okay. Now, if you don't mind, Mr. Titus, I'd like to finish shaving. As I explained, Mr. Diamond, I don't have much time. Well, then, good afternoon, Mr. Titus. No, I'm afraid not. Charles! Yes, Mr. Titus. Well, well, well. I thought maybe you'd cut your throat when you jumped out of my window. I hear you got rather ambitious with Charles, Mr. Diamond. We turned such a pretty color when you slap him around. I told you you'd be sorry for that. Yes, and indeed you will, Mr. Diamond, unless you tell me where I can find Kali. You can go to the devil. I'm afraid the trip would be unpleasant and premature. However, I'm sure your passage might be taken care of. <laughs> Show him your new gun, Charles. Of course. Now you sit down, Diamond. Where is Kali, Mr. Diamond? And you know very well what I'm talking about. The small hand-carved ivory statue. Sorry, Titus. Yes, and so am I. I deplore the sight of blood. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Titus. Just turn your back. Yes, Charles. Excellent suggestion. Do you have a wireless, Diamond? No, but I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Oh, very funny. All right, where's your wireless? Hey, never mind, Charles. Mr. Diamond, has a piano. Yeah, I can manage to raise or lower the volume as the groans dictate. I can make a lot of noise. 
My old piano teacher assured me I could do the same. There. Now, go ahead, child. Hey, now, wait a minute. Oh, where is Kali, Diamond? Oh, nuts. Again, Mr. Titus? Again, Charles. <laughs> Are you using your fist, Charles? Oh, yes. Well, use the barrel of your gun. We haven't much time. All right. Oh, now, wait a minute. You... Oh, oh. Oh, it's not a very good piano, Mr. Diamond. Mm. That's an old kazoo over in the drawer. Kali Diamond, I want the statue. Well, for $10,000, don't you think I'd give it to you? No. Oh, really, Mr. Diamond, this piano is in a deplorable condition. So's Diamond, Mr. Titus. He looks terrible. Shame, but unavoidable. Keep working on him, Charles, until he decides to confide in us. Where's the statue, Diamond? Now? Okay. NBC is bringing you Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Young man? Mm. Young man? Mm. Uh, who, who says so? That is good. You can hear me? Oh, I can hear who? Try and sit up. You look quite uncomfortable. Yeah, you can make book on it. There, that's better. Now, take your time. I want your answers to be correct. Well, he got me into a sitting position, and when things finally stopped jumping around, I got a good look at him. Titus wasn't around. Neither was Charles, his little butcher. The room was dark except for a single light in the corner. The man standing before me was short, dressed in a tailored blue suit, his dark face standing out against a white turban on his head. He didn't smile or blink his eyes. I am Ahmed Benif. Oh, thanks. I'd introduce myself, but I've been pushed around so much I could be anybody. Mr. Titus and his man Charles can be very persuasive. Well, a gallon of blood and a few broken arms, anyone can do it. Where did they go? Uh, I got tired and took a nap. Did you give them Kali? Oh, no. Now, look, I... It's a very simple question. I know that a man came to your office with the statue. So does half of New York. I have been following Titus because I know the statue was stolen from him and that he would do anything to get it back. He led me to your office, then he led me here. If he has the statue, he has undoubtedly returned to his flat where he is preparing to leave for a place of safety. Well, I don't know whether he's got the statue or not. That is unfortunate. I have no more time to question you. I shall have to assume that Mr. Titus has the statue and kill you. He was like a cat. Before I could push myself to a standing position, he was around and back, and I felt something drop over my head and draw tight around my windpipe. Oh, I'm sorry, but I must know. If you will not tell me, I shall have to stand. Strangle you. Oh. Diamond! Come on! Ricky loves Walter. Now open this door! Oh. We shall meet again, Mr. Diamond. Oh. Come on, Rick. I know you're in there. You were supposed to be down at the station an hour ago. Oh, oh shut up
Believe me, Walt, I don't know. You look awful. Yeah, I feel like I've been playing in a wind tunnel with blocks of cement. What happened? Look, before I go into it, hmm, tell me what you found out. We better take care of you first. Yeah, I don't have to wait. Things keep going on like they have been. It's only a matter of time until someone else gets killed. Now, what did you find out? Well, you know that gun you gave me? Yeah, the one I got from Charles. Is that his name? Yeah, what about the gun? It was the one that killed the guy in your office. That's why you've got to get down to the station and try to identify this guy from the gallery. By the time I do that, he'll be out of the country. How do you know that? Ahmed Benif told me. Who the devil is Ahmed Benif? Guy with a turban. Tried to strangle me. Now, don't you start that. I'm not starting anything. He beat it out the back. If you hadn't knocked on that door, I'd have been strangled to death. He the guy who beat you up like this? No. Charles did. Because Mr. Leopold Titus Esquire told him to. Leopold Titus Esquire? What are you trying to do? That's right. He was looking for Collie in the first... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Collie? That's a dog. No, 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 Wall, it isn't. It's an ivory statue. I... Oh, my gosh. Now what? Wait a minute. He's lost his mind. What are you doing in that piano? I'm looking for the statue. I put it in here. Please, Rick, slow down. Uh... Yeah, gone. Well, Titus has got it. He was playing the piano. Please, Rick, please. Walt... What did you find out about the dead man? William Logan? Yeah, what did you find out? He was a merchant seaman. Landed yesterday on the Queen of India out of Calcutta. Huh? Thanks, Walt. Where do you think you're going? Check with the steamship company. I stumbled out of my place looking like an ad for ground sirloin and grabbed a cab. On the way to the India steamship lines, I tried putting two and two together. The little statue, Kali, was a reason for the whole thing. One man was dead because of it, and everybody who was connected with the case was perfectly willing to kill anyone else at any time. Mr. Leopold Titus wanted it, so did one Ahmed Beneath. Titus and his boy Charles evidently tailed William Logan, merchant seaman, to my office, and somewhere along the line, Charles shot him. Ahmed Beneath was tailing the whole bunch. Two and two? Well, maybe, but I still needed some answers. A cab pulled up in front of the East India Steamship offices, and I went in. A nice little girl with a nice little uh, <clears throat> personality showed me the passenger list of the India Queen, and sure enough, Mr. Leopold Titus and a Mr. Charles Freely, first class. I thanked the girl, told her I'd send her a picture when my face got back to normal, and I headed for the docks in the customs office. I needed an address on Titus, and I knew that he must have signed a manifest at customs. He had. And five minutes later, I was back in my cab headed for the residence of Mr. Leopold Titus Esquire, Kew Gardens, Long Island. It was a big, sprawling house, and by the time I got there, my watch was leaning on seven o'clock. I paid the cabbie with my last 20 bucks and started toward the only light burning. The light was coming from a downstairs room with tall French doors, so I went over the balcony and moved up for a better look. I got the look and went in fast. Titus. Oh, Mr. Diamond. I'm afraid you're a bit late. The place was a wreck. Titus was half sitting, half lying against the couch. There was blood all over him. Charles Freely was stretched out on the floor near the towering bookcases. He was looking up, staring, but not seeing a thing. Around his throat was a long, white length of cloth. <laughs> Greed, Mr. Diamond. 
The price for greed comes extremely high, as you can well see. Ahmed Benif? Oh, you've met. Yes, Ahmed Benif. Quite as proficient with a gun as well as a strangling cord. I'll call an ambulance. No, no, Mr. Diamond. I'm having a twinge of conscience, so hear me out. You must find Benif and stop him. Does he have Kali? Yes, he has Mother Kali. Mother Kali? She is known by her followers. Tugs, Mr. Diamond. Have you ever heard of Tugs? No, I haven't. What are they? A cult long since believed extinct in India. An army of assassins banded together under the guidance of Mother Kali. Assassins? Yes, Mr. Diamond. Trained in the art of strangling. Oh, uh, oh yes, I read something about that in a history book. It was a long time ago. Correct. They were suppressed by the British in 1830. You're trying to tell me they've started all over again? Absolutely. What about that little statue? Belongs to the man who has reorganized the tugs. The symbol of his leadership. Passed down through generations from one leader to the next. And to a collector worth a fortune. And you're a collector? A businessman. But I know a great many collectors who would pay a sizable fortune to get a hold of that statue. And Ahmed Badif is one of those tugs. Indeed he is. Where did you get the statue? Charles stole it for me from Ahmed Benif. What about William Logan, the merchant seaman? Uh, board ship from Calcutta. Logan discovered its value and stole it from us. Indeed, Ahmed Benif is a tug. The statue is his. Passed down by his father and his father before him. I'll call the law. Mr. Diamond, please see that Charles is buried next to me. A mixed-up boy, but... A good friend. Sure. Now, uh, operator, Put give me... Put down the phone, Mr. Diamond. Put it down. Well, Benif, this isn't very smart, is it? On the contrary, Mr. Diamond, it is very smart. I have the statue. And now you are the only man who could tell the authorities that once again the thugs are rising all over India. How did you know I'd be here? I did not know. As I was leaving, I saw your cab pull up. I listened to everything Mr. Titus had to say. I was surprised. I thought surely he would be dead by now. And now you kill me. Most assuredly. Ahmed couldn't see it because as he came closer to me, his back was to Titus. And Titus was pulling himself painfully across the room, trying to get to the dead body of Charles Freely. I didn't know what he was up to, but I, I had to give him time to make it. I deplore the use of a gun, but in some cases... I'd rather strangle your victim. That is my religion, Mr. Diamond. Unfortunately, in some cases, I must take other steps. Well, you've sure taken some pretty big ones. I assure you, it has been most necessary. All because of a little statue? All because of what that little statue represents. I rule the tugs, Mr. Diamond, and Kali is a symbol of my leadership. As you have seen, I would do anything to retain its possession and keep faith with my people. So now, again, my time is short. <laughs> Indeed, it was short, wasn't it, Mr. Diamond? Indeed. I'm certainly happy that Charles had his new gun. Thanks, Titus. A pleasure. And now, quickly... 
two favors, Mr. Diamond. What are they? First, take the statue of Kali and destroy it. I must have your word. You've got it. Uh, the second, I... <laughs> I wish your honest opinion. I'll try. Once you directed me to the devil, and I said that it was a premature crossing. Yes. I... I fear that perhaps now it is not your honest opinion, Mr. Diamond. Do, do you think he could really stand the competition? <laughs> Titus. Titus. Well, it'll sure be a good race anyway. <laughs> How do you feel, Rick? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Pretty good, I guess. Want to tell me about it? No, I, um, I don't think so, honey. You just get confused with an old argument about right and wrong. Well, I wish you weren't so unhappy. Unhappy? Oh, honey, you said a bad word. I'm just mad about my bruises. Oh, I think the colors are lovely. Mm, well, so do I. I've just got to be careful about wearing plaid. Oh, Rick. Mm, pretty bad, huh? Yeah. Why don't you just sing something? All right, dear. I'd love to. Bye-bye, baby. Remember you're my baby. When you oh, give no, me... No, 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 Rick. <laughs> did you hear that? I certainly did. He's back. That's the grouch in the next building, isn't it? <laughs> yes, he's been out of town for a rest. Oh, my God. What's his name? Mr. Lumpkin. Oh, uh, good evening, Mr. Lumpkin. Oh, antisocial, huh? You are my sunshine. You are my sunshine. You are my sunshine. You are my... Good evening, Mr. Lumpkin. All right, all right. Good evening. Well, now, that's better. Now, what would you like to hear? The sound of you cutting your throat. You're fighting me. Oh, I'd love to with a machine gun. Tepper, tepper, tepper. Control yourself. I may ask questions later. Oh, Good evening, Mr. Lumpkin. You stay out of this. Good evening, Miss Asher. My, you're looking well. Oh, oh, thank you. So are you. If he leans out any further, he'll be hanging by his heels. Now, you just stay right there, Mr. Lumpkin. We've got a lovely surprise for you. Yes? Yes. Now, sing something nice, Rick. Love it, love it. Bye-bye, baby. Remember you're my baby When they give you the eye Although I know that you care Won't you write and declare That though on the loose You are still on the square I'll be gloomy But send that rainbow to me then my shadows will fly Though you'll be gone for a while I know that I'll still be smiling With my baby by and by With my baby by and by well, How do you take it? How is that, Mr. Lumpkin? Oh, Miss Asher, it's impossible for me To express my feelings at this moment Especially when a lady is present. 
He didn't like it. Well, what do you expect from a clarinet player? Come on, let's case the icebox. You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Gypsy Rose Lee visits Duffy's Tavern tomorrow on NBC. That's Case Closed for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find a lot more from Box 13, Richard Diamond, Case Closed, all the other podcasts, a shoutcast stream, and everything else Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. You can donate through the website if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. It's how this is all made possible. My thanks, as always, to those who have helped out. Thank you very much for joining me today. Talk to you again next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Case Closed.